To the Darkest Hour podcast, or are you? Because our mad scientists have been down in the lab, splicing together a horrific new creation to stuff into your ear holes. For the last few years, this podcast has mostly focused on movie franchises, and we're best known for giving horror films of the past and present what we like to call a thorough but loving autopsy. For example, ridiculously detailed, scene-by-scene analysis of every single Friday the 13th and Halloween movie. But now we're going to shake it up a little bit and hopefully take this show to the next level. That's right, the unholy spawn of It's Always Friday the 13th and Every Night is Halloween will be called March Mad Men, the quest to find the greatest horror film of all time. Every season, we'll study a different subgenre of horror, whittling down a field of 32 films to determine which is the champion. When we've got a winner in every subgenre, we'll match them up and crown the greatest horror film of all time. Vic's kids will probably be in college by then. As the title suggests, we're taking our cues from the NCAA basketball tournament here. Though instead of the famed Field of 64, each season of this show will feature 32 films seeded from 1 to 32. The number one seed squares off against 32, 2 will face 31, 3 will face 30, and so on. In every round, we'll go into more detail with the head-to-head competitions until shows sound a little bit more like the in-depth studies that our longtime listeners are used to. Early on, there will be no spoilers, so if you want to watch a movie that we plan to deep dive into in the next round, you should have plenty of advance notice before we tell you exactly where the bodies are buried. So which subgenre will season one be dissecting? It's the haunted house film. The ghost genre is so large that we are planning to divide it into two. This round will focus on very location-centric hauntings. There might be some cheating along the way. We're not totally sure until this show what movies will be uh, under the microscope, but we're going to have a whole category for roaming ghosts. So that's, for example, where the Juan movies are going to live, if you're wondering. Tonight is going to be the selection show, where each of us have brought a list of 32 movies to the table And we will advocate for each until we hammer out the full list of contenders in our tournament. And this could end up being a two-parter. I'm not sure. We're just going to shoot from the hip here because it's our maiden voyage, boys. If you're not familiar, I'm John Evans. And I'm joined once again by my incredible co-hosts, Vic Wheat and Rich Eckersley. And we are back to do it up tonight. Gentlemen, I hope you are excited for something new and different 
and kind of scary, actually, because it's uh, it's going to be a bit more ambitious. Are you ready, Vic? Fucking A, John. I am so goddamn excited about this. <laughs> Guys, we've been talking about this a long time. I think this is more preparation than we've ever done for a season of this show. There's been a, a lot of back and forth, a lot of arguing, a lot of passion about it. And that's what I think is so awesome about this. And and this is something that John brought up in our early discussions. We are three passionate horror fans, people who have worked in the entertainment industry, who have interacted with some of our favorite horror icons here and there. And so this does feel like the culmination of this huge part of our lives, this thing that we have studied and, and analyzed and, and gotten drunk while watching. And uh, so I'm just really excited to see what comes out of this, to really break down the elements of the genre. And hopefully, uh, I think we're all going to, we're all going to learn something. I hope the the listeners are going to learn a little bit and we're going to have a hell of a lot of fun. Also, I just want to say, guys, check out our darkest hour media, uh, Facebook page. We're going to work to get the, the actual tournament list on the uh, social media here and there. We want you guys to chime in because, listen, it was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be to nail down a list of 32 movies. So I'm sure there's more that you're going to be super pissed at us for not picking, and we want to hear about it. There's probably some we haven't seen, not many. There's probably some we haven't seen. So feel free to to check that out. Follow us. This is going to ultimately find its way to its own page, and we can't wait to hear what everybody thinks. Well said, Vic. Well said. Yeah, and before I, I hand it off to Rich, because I want to see how he's doing tonight, um, I want to say, like, to follow up on your statement, we've got jobs and families and even other hobbies, so if you can believe that. So for some of tonight's work, whittling down the universe of Haunted House movies to 32 films apiece, we're relying on our memories of some long-ago viewings, and as we move into the later rounds, we're going to give each movie the attention they deserve but because our time is finite, there's definitely going to be some glaring omissions here. So we apologize in advance if your favorites got short shrift. And we're going to have a March Mad Men Facebook page. The Darkest Hour page will point you in the right direction. You can also tweet me at John F underscore Evans. And uh, hopefully we can get some conversation going about all this. So, Rich, uh, how are you doing tonight, man? And are you up for this challenge? Yes, John, I am 100% ready for this. I will say that, like you said, going into it, it did seem exciting, but it also felt like a little overwhelming. It's, it can make you like a little anxious just trying to figure out where the holes in your knowledge might be or what might have been the thing that you didn't see or is the thing that you're remembering as being great actually great or are you going to be sort of you know embarrassed by the thing you held on to. But it's certainly exciting, and I do remember that when you came to me and Vic and you were like, hey, I've got this this idea. You know, it's another horror podcast, a totally different approach to things. It's all based on college sports. <laughs> I, I remember I remember what I said. You, you remember what I said? I said, no, John, bad idea. <laughs> but, then, but then here we are. So it has been fun trying to piece this together and constantly arguing over email and text message to figure it out. I'm looking forward to putting all of it to tape. 
Oh, hell yeah. I mean, I think this sort of competitive element is going to change the dynamics and, and it should be fun. And conversations could get fairly spirited at times between the three of us. So I think that's going to be uh, good radio, as they say. But as always, we, we start with what we're drinking. I, I will kick that off uh, tonight. <laughs> this has been a few podcasts in a row, and that's saying something because we don't record that often. I'm on the Sierra Nevada celebration still. It's still winter. I can justify it. And I've poured two of them into my giant skull mug, which I got in Vegas at Treasure Island, and it's very appropriate for this type of occasion. Vic, what are you drinking? Uh, I am drinking the Boulevard Sixth Glass Quad, which is very high alcohol, and it has taken us so long just to get to this point that I'm almost done with it. So we better get rolling, guys, (laughs) because I'm going to be blackout drunk by the time we get to 16. (laughs) 32 movies, everybody. (laughs) Let's get crazy, Mad Men. All right, uh, Rich, what are you drinking? Sorry, guys. I'm drinking water tonight. I am... Whoa. Trying to stay hydrated. I didn't know the entire plan. I thought there might be athletics involved, <laughs> and so I want to be fresh. And uh, I'm, I got I got another two weeks that I'm going without drinking. So I'll, I'll let you know how it went on the next podcast. We have an insane uh, amount of films to talk about tonight, but let's not waste any more time. Let's get right into it. I'm going to say... Rich, get us started, shoot some free throws, do some athletic uh, feats of prowess, and tell me the number one movie on your nomination list that we should consider. All right. Well, I don't know if I'm going to defend this one to the death as my number one, number one, but I'm going to open it up with Lake Mungo. Mm Mm-hmm. Ooh, I second that one. That is on my list as well. So I'm going to mark that one down as a definite. I actually had that. I I did put mine in a rough order, you know, from uh, number one seed all the way down to 32, as I would have it if uh, it was only up to me. And that one is number four on my list, which actually kind of surprised me that it's that high, considering that most people don't know that much about it. But I totally uh, love the pick, Rich. Tell us why it's uh, it's on your list. I mean, I really feel like like Mungo – in general, is a exercise in storytelling and style that you don't see anywhere else here on the list. I'm not going to recall the exact specific plot details here, but I do recall that it is the story of a family that loses one of its children. Um, it loses a, a teenage daughter, and the story essentially follows, you know, it's, it's borderline found footage where these people are making a documentary about the family and how the family is coping with the loss. And over the course of it, you are pulled into this ghost story where the brother of the family believes that he's been having encounters with the, with the daughter. And it kind of pushes and pulls you and it's sort of like it provide it sets up questions and then and then tries to provide answers that turn out not to be true and so on and so forth. And I will wait to delve any further into the story other than that. But the way that it approaches it, the way that the movie focuses on the emotions and the grief that the family's going through and doesn't do it's not found footage type scares. The the movie is presented as a documentary that's really like exploring what it's like to be this family. It comes out feeling more like a winter's bone, which, you know, is not a doc, but is still like a exploration of a time, a place and people. And there just happens to be a ghost story along the backbone. And it has a pretty chilling ending once you get there. 
Oh, hell yeah. I, I agree with Rich 100%. I would point out it's an Australian film. I think it's the only Australian film on my list. This movie has wonderful performances. The actors really sell the emotions, the relationships. It's one of the things that really makes the faux documentary style work. And I, I just think it's one of the most criminally underseen horror films in recent memory. It's one that I recommend to people all the time. It is streaming on Amazon Prime. Guys, if you haven't seen it, check it out. It also can be very – it can be a pretty polarizing movie. I recommend it to a few people who watched it and then came back with the, a response along the lines of – you know, hey, I thought you said this was a horror movie, which I feel it certainly is. Those people are assholes, Rich. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And if you guys are listening, you know it's true. Go fuck yourselves. That's right. <laughs> I've only seen it the once, and I can't wait. Obviously, we're going to delve deeply into this film because we're clearly going to see it highly, and it's going to be a contender. I was very much impressed with this movie. It, it freaks me out. It definitely was a horror film. Like I'm, some of my movies on my list, I, I can debate that, and I'm I'm they're on there because they're haunted house movies. But I would question if they're they really belong in the genre. If we're talking about movies that are designed to scare the hell out of you and and that really have antagonists, but we'll get into all of that. I think that this movie is is quite chilling, and it's critically acclaimed. I mean, just looking at like the um, 94% approval rating on, on Rotten Tomatoes ain't bad. So, but yeah, people don't really talk about it. It doesn't come up on a lot of lists. I'm, I'm glad that we've all found it. And uh, yeah, it really stood out to me. I mean, this has been 2008. So it's not like I just saw this and it's fresh on our minds or anything. But that, I think that one is um, something that I'm really eager to, to dig into. And yeah, I highly recommend that people see it. So let's move on to movie number two. We've got our first movie in there. And by the way, like the specific seating we're going to do between shows, maybe we'll do some of it on the on a podcast, but it definitely will not be tonight. That will be a, a, another step of the process. So we don't know yet where Lake Mungo is going to rank in the final list. But let's get Vic's first uh, name on his list. Vic, what movie do you want to kick things off with? Well, John, I think we should go ahead and, and, and get one of the heavy hitters here. And let's just let's just go ahead and say The Shining. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, today I was talking to my ex-writing partner, Karen, who I wrote a couple of scripts with and almost got a horror movie made together. She and, and she and I watched a lot of these movies together. And by the way, she brought up Lake Mungo. And jokingly, when she mentioned The Shining, I'm like, oh, that's not going to make it. And then <laughs> when she like, I, I'm afraid she didn't totally get the joke. And I said, spoiler alert, that that one probably is going to win the whole damn thing. So, uh, yeah, duh, that, that will be on the list. And I mean, it's almost so, such a no brainer. What we, we shouldn't even waste any any air on, on that movie. It's it's a it's, it's a shoe in for a top seed. I will say that it has not been a movie that I've really been drawn to in the past that I more admired as a piece of, of cinema than an exceptional haunted house or a horror movie. It's just not a movie I've returned to a whole lot as much as I do understand why people admire it. Interesting. Vic, I assume that you have a more emotional relationship with the film. 
You know, I do. And I, I actually recently I watched the director's cut of Dr. Sleep, which I, I prefaced with uh, a video review that uh, a guy named Bob Chipman recorded that talked about some of the, the very personal elements that he related to The Shining and to uh, Jack Torrance specifically having to do some with his relationship with his father. It, had a, it really hit me hard emotionally. This was a movie that I connected with in a lot of ways with my mother. And so I do have a very personal relationship with this. It's a movie that I have revisited a lot that I probably saw when I was way too young to see The Shining. It's one of the reasons that I love horror movies. And so I... I I agree. This is obviously, like I said, this is a heavy hitter. This is probably the favorite right now. Doesn't mean there won't be upsets, folks. This is uh, very similar to a March Madness tournament. Yep. We'll have to see how things shake out when we get into it. But I am. This is this is one of the ones that I am really anxious to talk about when we get into the later rounds and are really able to to dive into it. But I agree. Most everyone should have watched The Shining. If you haven't. For God's sakes, stop what you're doing. Don't stop. Don't stop listening to the podcast. Finish the podcast. Then stop whatever you were going to do. Watch The Shining, even before Lake Mungo, and then come back because we're going to have some fascinating discussions about this. Oh, hell yeah. Cannot wait. But uh, yeah, it's unfathomable to me that any of our listeners will not have seen The Shining. But hey, you never know. You never know. This is definitely in my personal top five of all time across all genres of horror, across all genres of movies. And yeah, my, my personal connection to it is as strong as you know almost any film out there. And I do love revisiting it fairly often. I'm not the... I, I want to say, by the way... I am not the kind of person – there are people like that out there who just like they, – they watch movies 20 times, 30 times. Certain horror classics in their own pantheon of classics, they might revisit like every October or, or something like that. That is not what I do. I really am always looking to see something new. Like my very favorite movies I've probably seen you know 15 times. Like that's, that's just how I roll. But The Shining, I, I have seen probably more than anything that I can think of offhand. So that's uh, that, that one's in there. All right, guys, we got two movies on the list. I will kick off my list with session nine. This movie blew me the fuck away when it came out and I studied it closely. It's a master class on the slow, but steady building of dread. The more you know about what's really going on as the mystery unravels, the scarier the movie gets, which in my opinion, a lot of haunted house movies do not achieve. And I put the mental hospital that this film takes place in on my Mount Rushmore of haunted structures in terms of its atmosphere. I absolutely love this movie. It's uh, it's something that I'm very eager to deep dive into, and uh, I, I will go so far as to say that if somehow you guys like didn't vote for it and it wasn't going to make the list, like fuck it, no, I'm I'm putting it in. It's happening. I will break the whole process for this movie. So at least one of you needs to come with me on this ride or I'm going to be pissed. It's directed by Brad Anderson and it has an amazing cast of great actors that you'll recognize all of them. David Caruso is the, the biggest name, if, if that's a fair statement in 2020, but it's Peter Mullen and Larry Fessenden and Brendan Sexton, the third, and just Josh Lucas guys. You've seen 
a million times and everybody does a fantastic job. So I am very passionately advocating for it. And if we need to debate it later in the show, let's bring it on. Uh, session nine is on my list, although it's a little lower on the list. I my my initial reaction to the film was I was not hugely impressed by it, except for one climactic scene, which I will not get into too much. But it, I will never forget watching this movie for the first time. And again, it's got a, a really creepy cover. Like you said, it's got a good cast. Brad Anderson, yeah, I'm a little iffy on, but he really knows what he's doing with the atmosphere and stuff. But so I was just kind of meandering through it. And when it got to this scene, it, I honestly had such a, a terrifying emotional reaction that it felt like I was having a panic attack. I had to get up and turn on the lights for, for that scene. I won't get into the specifics of it for that reason. It can stay on the list. Wow. Well, thank you, Vic. And I can't wait to hear about that because I can't put my finger on what you're talking about, but I'm eager to find out. How about you, Rich? Um, Have you seen this film first off? So wait, just so I'm clear, if you can't get a second vote on your movie, then it doesn't go on the list? Theoretically, (laughs) except for this movie. Executive privilege. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say that. But, like, that's just kind of my way of saying that, you know, come on, guys. Like, I I feel really strongly about it. Yeah, sure. It's not on my list. Um, Damn you to hell, Rich. Damn you to hell. A lot of hype around this movie when it originally came out. Um, Yes, I remember back that far. I went to go see it in the theater. I always thought it was a little bit of a bore. Okay. Kind of slow, not a lot of payoffs, a lot of shots of dirty hallways. Although I do really like the character of just like the asylum in general. Always a, a like a classic horror location, but not one that you've seen featured well very often. And I do think that it plays pretty well in this movie. There are certain moments of it that I recall fondly, but I honestly, like, I can't even remember the rest, the rest of the movie. And I've seen the movie like three times. I think I actually have a copy of it. Like, I just, it just doesn't, it doesn't stick with me. It doesn't resonate. Interesting. It is kind of a slow burn, and yeah, like it's a, it's a, a subtler psychological kind of a thing. Like, it, its payoffs are built to, and they're. They're not like it, it is not a conventional horror film. Yeah, there's tons of tension in my opinion, but it, it, it doesn't play a lot of the traditional game. It's really interior. It's really constructing a, a tapestry that but when you get the final piece and you see the whole picture, that to me at the very end is what elevates it another level of horror. And and I actually feel that it's somewhat similar to like Mungo in some ways, you know, cause I, I felt they're, they're, they're cousins. So it'll be really interesting to see if you end up liking it more, if I end up liking it less, uh, probably not, but that one, that, that should be a good topic for us moving forward. Yeah. I realize it's not, not everyone loves it, but to me, this totally messed up my mind and I find it absolutely terrifying. And I find the final moments, the final seconds of this just absolutely bone chilling. And I, I think that's pretty unusual. So it'll be, it'll be good to, to dig into it. 
Uh, I'm glad that you allowed me to, to put it on there. Uh, now it's back to you, Rich. I didn't, I, I didn't do it. I didn't. Well, no, uh, Vic did. <laughs> like between the two of you. Want, I don't want to go down with that. I got my second vote. So F you, man. <laughs> All right. This is getting good already. Guys. Yes. This is so fucking exciting. Right. I, I can't wait to hear about. There's a couple movies on Rich's list that my my knives will come out for. <laughs> Next on my list, uh, I'm skipping over The Shining because I did I I did put it on my list to be honest because almost like out of sheer respect for it. But so there's no denying The Shining's place. So skipping past that, I'm going to The Devil's Backbone, Guillermo del Toro's uh, Spanish language horror film set in an orphanage. We like orphanages. We do. (laughs) This movie, also a 2001, also came out Ah. the same year as Session 9. I'm pretty sure I saw both of them at the same theater um, on the campus of the University of Texas. And this is a movie that I haven't seen in a while. It's probably been at least a decade. So I was a little hesitant to put it on here. And there's definitely a few movies that fit in this category where it's like, I hadn't seen it in a long time. I'm certainly excited to go revisit it. And I am responding mostly to, you know, the feelings I had at the time. I always felt like this movie, which I believe was only, was Del Toro's maybe second or third major film after Kronos. Yes. It's sort of a, a companion piece in a way to Pan's Labyrinth because I believe they're both set during the Spanish Civil War. And they both involve children who are sort of you know, dealing with a, a rich, dark fantasy while at the same time like confronting like real-world monsters and people who are tormenting them. The thing I remember about this movie is it just being very visceral, very dark and creepy, sort of capturing everything that Del Toro does very well really imaginative, the monsters and the ghosts, the way that they get brought into the story as characters is more vivid than I think you get in other Haunted House movies where the the ghosts are sort of forever held off camera. And it was just, a, I remember being like a rich emotional story with a lot of unexpected twists and turns. Well, you can say more about it than me and I appreciate that. Thank you. But it was a no brainer for me from just a, vestigial memory, you know, like I haven't, I've only seen it once. I did see it at home. I didn't see it in the theater, but I saw it within a year or two of 2001 when it was released. And I remember being, you know, very much impressed by it. So like, it just kind of, and I love Del Toro in general. So I think that like that one, I'm just on faith. I'm, I'm seconding your, I'm giving you a vote on it and I'm, it's pretty high on my list, but honestly, like I remember almost nothing other than, you know, sort of his signature eerie, haunting, poignant visuals and, and yeah, sympathetic, a sympathetic portrayal of, of scary things, which I think is one of his gifts as a filmmaker. Vic, what are your uh, recollections of this movie and are we getting a third vote on it? It does get a third vote. It is very high on my list. I think this does capture a lot of the filmmaking obsessions that make Guillermo del Toro such a fascinating filmmaker. John, the thing you said about it being sympathetic portrayals of the monsters and things, and that's really, to me, that's the hallmark of del Toro, is that he loves 
ghosts. He loves monsters. And they always have a certain amount of sympathy to them. I agree that it's a companion piece in a lot of ways to Pan's Labyrinth. I know a lot of people prefer Pan's Labyrinth that was up for a lot of Oscars and that kind of stuff. But I really think, I mean, Pan's Labyrinth is a fantasy film with some trappings of horror around it. And I think that this is a horror film that has a lot of trappings of a fairy tale around it. And I actually prefer that as a, as a recipe when you're making a movie. I think this is actually a better movie than Pan's Labyrinth, and I think it's great. It's been a long time since I've seen it, too. I can't wait to go back to it, but it's, boy, there was some stuff in there that I, I just found both really scary and really moving. I yeah. do have this feeling, like, John, you had mentioned that you don't go back and rewatch films that often, and neither do I. Part of it's that there's just so much out there that I want to be able to see it all. But also sometimes, as in cases like this, there's sort of this fear that um, – I'll do this with music, too, where it's like you almost don't want to go back and revisit it because you don't want to find out that you were wrong. It can be really disappointing when that happens. Sometimes you can take something that was, uh, you know, like nostalgic for you and ruin it. My, my number one impulse, though, is always because we live in such a golden age of entertainment across genres that I'm always thinking – I would rather have a new experience, like period, across the board. Unless I'm looking at something that I loved when I was 11, 12, you know, maybe a little younger. I trust my previous opinion on – if I love – that's the thing. This is the most interesting thing about this whole exercise. And I think uh, Vic touched on it earlier, and I'll just underscore it. When something touches you, when it inspires you, when you love it, I think there's a real – there's something special to that. And what I really hope to do with this podcast is all of us, all three of us, find the things that touched us and inspired us and scared the shit out of us and really made – left a mark, you know? And, and my – theory, my hypothesis, and it's not always going to be true, but is that we're still going to see and reconnect with the value of that. At least I hope so. Me too. But we'll find out. Because <laughs> yeah, we'll I, out. <laughs> there's a lot of things on my list and that, that I've seen once or you know not in 20 years or whatever. So I think we have four really good movies here. Uh, Vic, what is your uh, next one? Well, this is a movie that I've definitely seen 20 or 30 times so it does not fall into the category of movies i haven't seen in 10 years and don't know if it's really good that is david tuey's masterful combination of a world war ii submarine film and a haunted house movie titled below oh yeah well, um, I want to hear more about your uh, impassioned case for this film. I'll just say that I've seen it once. I really haven't watched it uh, when it's been on at Halloween or this is another one that I'm really eager to study so I can share your understanding of it because I saw it. I did see it in the theater, but at, when it came out, this is another one that's like 2001 or so, if I'm not mistaken. I think a little later than that, but, <clears throat> yeah, I think, uh, I but think that much. it was later than that. It's 2002, actually. 2002. Yeah, late, later, John. 2002. <laughs> it's a yeah. full six months right. after the last two movies we talked about. <laughs> 
Yeah. Wow, we, we really like the turn of the century films so far, apparently. But uh, in any event, uh, I don't have more than a very vague recollection of it. So I'm not going to say much other than I figured it would make it. And I'm definitely not going to argue with you. Uh, and I look forward to revisiting it. Now, Rich, you also put this on your list. So uh, before we double back to Vic, what, why did you nominate it? Well, for one, I was super confused because I thought it was – I thought I heard Blow 2001. I watched <laughs> Johnny Depp drug drama, the final film of Ted Demi, which is fantastic and surprisingly a horror movie about a haunted house. No, I'm a big fan of Blow. Uh, you have no contest here. I've seen it several times. Um, I saw it back in the day at home. And it, just to paint a picture really quick, my my setup at that time in my life was a television that couldn't have been more than maybe 15 inches wide with a VCR and a DVD player stacked on top of it in the corner of a room. And I remember that movie, which which has a great deal of like scope and really beautiful shots and this and also shots that are really full of details that we can, you know, dig into another time, hopefully down the line, where the thing that's happening in the foreground isn't necessarily the thing that you're watching. Really layered storytelling. And that all came across on some tiny crappy TV off of a VHS copy. And I rewatched it for the first time in a long time, just a few months ago, um, at Halloween. So I only kind of got to pay half the attention that I wanted to. But I feel like it's still really held up and very strong performances from the actors as well. Yeah, guys, this is another one that is, I think, criminally underseen. The story that I've heard, this was released by Dimension. I've heard that Bob Weinstein wanted David Toohey to change the ending of the film. When we get into it, we can discuss about whether or not he should have. But Toohey refused to change the ending of the film, and so Weinstein tanked the release. He didn't put any marketing behind it. He put it in a couple of theaters and then sent it direct to DVD. I was obsessed with Pitch Black, which was David Toohey's first film. He was, I believe, nominated for an Oscar for the screenplay for The Fugitive. So he's a very talented writer, I think a very good director. This He does shoot the hell out of this movie. So it didn't if, – if you weren't looking for it – it didn't get seen very much. This is another one that if you haven't seen it, stop what you're doing, leave your kids, go find <laughs> it somewhere. They'll be fine and then come back and come back and watch it. Also, just worth noting, one of the, the very earliest Zach Galifianakis performances, he's very funny in kind of a comic relief role, but he's also very good, very believable. The screenplay was partially written by Darren Aronofsky. Oh, how about that? I think I knew. I think I knew that actually. But still, he had a draft. Sounds like, yeah. I mean, some people hail this as the prequel to The Hangover. <laughs> oh. oh, John! I'm sorry. I got, I got in the way of your. Uh, I got in the way of your Zach Galifianakis joke. I apologize. John. That's okay. <laughs> it would have landed if, if only it had. Yeah. The timing had been right. <laughs> I think I think Vic's uh, appalled reaction says it all on that one. We've got five movies now. Like, let's just uh, recap. So far in the tournament are Lake Mungo, The Shining, Below, The Devil's Backbone, and Session Nine. Next on my list, I think this is probably a no-brainer as well. I was a little surprised as I was kind of tearing these how high it ended up being, but I think it's pretty defensible. Poltergeist. 
is is next on my list. And uh, this, of course, is the uh, Steven Spielberg slash Toby Hooper classic. And while it uh, could be called a family film or at least a family-friendly film, it's not that different from Jaws, for example, which certainly belongs. So I think the scares are there. I, I think that just kind of the way it pushes the envelope in terms of ghosts and the the spectacle that that could be wrung out of that, that a lot of horror films kind of flirted with up to that point. But this one really took it to a blockbuster level. And I think it did it in in an effective way, unlike let's say the, the haunting remake that Jan de Bont made. I mean, I think it's a, it's a legitimate classic. I have revisited it recently enough to feel confident about its inclusion and it's definitely a contender in any haunted house movie list i love poltergeist i actually so i was mildly obsessed with it when i was a very young child i always wanted my parents to put a football helmet on me and put me on the kitchen floor so i would slide across it So I have an early association with it, but I didn't remember much else of it. I actually really liked Poltergeist 2. I'm not going to say whether or not it's on my list, but – oh, no, wait, not 2, uh, 3. 3 is the one that happens in the high-rise. Yes. Is yes. that right? Yep. The, with the mirrors. I, I saw that in the theater and was very affected by it, but I know that that's not this movie. So going back to this movie – I saw this again at Halloween, and it was actually one of the times where everyone sort of stopped and like watched a movie and took it in. And I was really struck by how well it holds up. And you've got Toby Hooper and, and Spielberg at, at work, and like that level of talent really comes through. It feels like a well-crafted, big-budget Twilight Zone episode, um, and I mean that in the best way. So I really liked it. In case anyone listening wasn't aware of this reference, Hollow Weekend is every year the three of us and other people and, and Vic and Rich originated this even long before I got on board. But we watch a, a marathon of themed horror films over a, a course of a weekend. So it's that that will be mentioned every now and then. If uh, if you're with us long enough, we could probably turn that into a drinking game. Uh, whenever Hollow Weekend comes <laughs> up, uh, you know, take take a drink. But uh, Vic, uh, what's your relationship? Relationship with Poltergeist. First, I will say that Halloween weekend is essentially a drinking game. <laughs> yes, in, yes. In, in, in participating in it. Yeah, I mean, Poltergeist obviously is on my list too. I think it has uh, enough iconic moments that are just literally part of our cultural consciousness. I mean, you think about the number of times you've heard "They're here," or you know, I mean, mm-hmm. I think of Jim Carrey saying, "This house is clear, like clean, uh, clean." What's that? Clean. clean. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Any movie that has that kind of cultural impact is definitely got something in it that is that is important and and works and is worth revisiting. This movie functions almost as a bridge from your childhood interest in like the Nightmare Before Christmas to your adult interest in The Shining. This is a movie that that occupies this weird space where they used to make movies like Gremlins that yeah. were creepy and scary and too scary for kids but it, i mean it literally it's one of those movies that they invented pg-13 for <laughs> because this that's that's the space that this occupies uh, but that's a listen that has a that has a powerful impact on a lot of people i'm not like mr family film kind of person like i i'm always attracted why do we call you that all the time <laughs> 
uh, <laughs> I'm attracted to extremity and like the the more crazy and gonzo and envelope pushing the better. But like I have to admit, like yes, this movie traumatized me as a kid but when i watch it now i'm not like yawn you know it, do- it doesn't have the power no it, it does universal studios does a what they call halloween horror nights everyone's got one of these somewhere where a theme park turns itself into a bunch of uh, haunted house mazes universal really does it up well with some big budget haunted houses and last year i went and they actually had a poltergeist haunted house And it sort of blew my mind that that was there because there's no Poltergeist reboot coming out that they're promoting. It's just that that movie was indelible enough to still reach people and still had like imagery that they thought would be exciting to all the, you know, vaping teens that go to (laughs) Universal Studios to get scared. And it seemed like it was working. And I uh, I love the haunted house, by the way. I thought it was one of the best ones there. Wow. That's a good point, Rich. Yeah, that speaks to the, the lingering cultural impact of this movie. And I think it's 100% warranted. All right. So that one's in. I think, yeah, we're back to you, Rich. What's next on your list? Well, I'm going to go with this one. Uh, like I said, mine was not necessarily put in a, a necessarily descent, descending order. But since you're a fan of gonzo cinema, John, um, I'm going to go with Haosu, the mm-hmm. Japanese haunted house thing. <laughs> <laughs> thing is a good word for it. <laughs> wow. All right. Well, tell us a little bit about that one, Rich. <laughs> well, Haosu is from 1977, so it's on the older side. But I would not say that it reads as an older movie. It's about uh... – <laughs> <laughs> That speaks volumes. <laughs> I don't know what's going on <laughs> in Haosu. Um, people may be familiar with it. If you haven't seen the movie, you maybe have seen the poster before. It has some very iconic images of a cat. It's about a bunch of schoolgirls who go to a home that is haunted – And I do recall that they get separated and sort of one by one each have these deep, nonsensical, psychedelic horror sex experiences. (laughs) And it's just – I mean it's like gonzo is the the word that you put out there that that made me want to go and bump it up here. And I think that gonzo is pretty accurate. Like it is just sort of bonkers. And it's a movie that I will say that I appreciate more than I like it. I don't particularly feel compelled to sit down and watch it again. But I also don't feel like I can necessarily forget certain moments in it. And I've never seen anything quite like it. It it also say that it is sort of a horror comedy in a sense. Like there's definitely a zaniness to it that is meant to... Read is kind of like funny more than a frightening, but it also lures you in with something that you think is going to be kind of like campy, you know, like like Japanese comedy, and then suddenly like turns on you and gets incredibly violent and unsettling. Well said. Yeah, that 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 kind of sums it up. It is a, a unique film, there, and the imagery is 
I mean, this guy, I believe he, he done commercials for the most part. He has an extremely, uh, the director has an extremely striking style and it's, it's very hallucinatory. This movie has uh, trippy is, uh, is the other way to say that, but it all, any, anything along those lines is probably accurate. Now, Vic, you, I don't believe, have you even seen this movie? I don't think it was on your list. Was not this movie was another Halloween watch. Take a drink. Combine a hallucinatory experience with a hallucinatory experience, and <laughs> you, can, you can imagine what my recollections of it are. It was, I, I just kind of remember tuning in and going, "Wait, what the fuck is going on?" I think a girl gets eaten by a piano, if yeah, I'm not mistaken. Yeah, you sort of watch a girl get eaten by a piano, and then turning her, you know, going to get a drink and having a quick conversation, and then coming back and seeing some other completely bizarre thing. This is one I will have to revisit in order to discuss in more detail. But that's rich. Your, your description of it matches my memory of watching it. So, well, I think, guys, this is the first one that I'm gonna kind of put off to the side a little bit. It's not a shoe-in. Like, I think, you know, Rich has half of my vote, but it, let's kind of see how this whole 32 pans out. I don't think that based on what we've said so far, I think it's the first movie that is not like a lock. So we'll we'll double back to it later. Let's see that's how the rest fair, of this goes. I'm, I'm just saying, like, take into account the fact that I feel, I feel pretty confident in saying it's not going to be like anything else on the list. Yes, I, I agree with that. I mean, it, it's got a pretty good shot because it is a very striking movie. But I I saw it once and at, at, by myself at home, and I definitely was struck by it, but I, I don't recall loving it. So I'm going to leave allowances for something else to win my heart in this process. Hey, Vic, uh, you just went to get a beer. What did you select? I sure did. This is a uh, a new Belgium honey orange triple. It's a Belgian style ale brewed with wild African honey and fresh ground Seville orange peel. It's a long way to go for honey, but all right, let's see what we got here. Oh, I heard the honey. All yep. right, well we got a little something there. I heard the African honey. Yeah. All right, let's see. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you, I don't know if you can hear the pour. Did any killer African wasps come pouring out of the can? It, it actually sits in the in the bottom of the bottle like the worm in the tequila in, in Poltergeist 2. Yeah. Uh, um, Rich, I liked Poltergeist 3 as well. So maybe uh, maybe we should revisit that along the way. I, 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 don't, not- I don't really remember 2 um, at all. But yeah, 3 was, three was creepy. The mirror was creepy. The, yeah. That poor girl was, was very creepy. I only saw two once, and I, I definitely was let down. But I, the, the tequila worm made a big impression on me, and it, it had its moments. So, by the way, I don't think that's really relevant for these films. But we are going to figure out kind of a wild card round at some point where there might be some party crashers. Not guaranteeing it's going to factor into this season, but we're going to make some kind of backdoor way that some films could end up in the mix. Uh, that that 
you know, we didn't know for whatever reason, miss the cut, uh, during the, the beginning show. So, uh, I mean, it's it's a competition, but like, ultimately the goal is to figure out the best movie, right? Exactly. It's like, if we feel like there's a way that a movie needs in because it might actually have some standing. Mm -hmm. Sure. All yeah. the more reason to scream at us on social media, folks, because we, right. we will we will listen. Yeah, you could actually change the course of our show. So if that's any incentive for you, take that to heart. So, um, Vic, did we did we get your movie? No, I don't think we did. Mm-hmm. Did not. It was interrupted by my my break for beer. I'm boy. I'm trying to figure out which way to go next. I. I, I don't know if I want to do something more commercial, if I want to bring in something a little more obscure. We're coming off of How Sue. So, uh, <laughs> you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw this one out there because I was blown away uh, by this movie by a the second film, I believe, by a young director named Mike Flanagan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the movie is Oculus, which has the, the daunting logline of being about a haunted mirror, which I would not have thought, uh, especially after the uh, Alexander Aha, Kiefer Sutherland mirrors could could be done. Um, <laughs> but my God, this movie scared the shit out of me. And Flanagan, who will make more appearances on this list, I believe, and only the only because uh, I think one of my one of my top five contenders would would be his Haunting of Hill House on Netflix, except, of course, technically that's a television series. It's a self-contained Absolutely. story. Absolutely. Uh, but that mm-hmm. I think that's one of the one of the best things they've done. But you can see those chops right there, right there in Oculus. Man, that movie scared the hell out of me. It's funny because there there have been a couple of decent horror films about mirrors, um, but this one is definitely the gold standard of mirror horror. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm not even remembering the name of the one. Maybe I'll mention it along the way when we talk about Oculus. But there there was one you know kind of decent one in in the nineties. I've seen this only once. Uh, I definitely agree with it being on our list. So you've got the two votes. But uh, this is one that to speak intelligently about, I will have to to watch it again. Uh, Rich, what are your feelings on it? I'm going to make some noise real quick, so hold on. Don't worry, it's not exciting noise. I'm just, I'm still I, heating up dinner. I was hoping uh, for at least like a wet fart. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I, I, I will, I will throw this out there as a, as a pitch, is that I actually have a, um, I have a, a sampler like for making music. And I was like, yeah, I should load it up with, like, horror sound effects, and then we should have BJ and the Bear. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's work it in. <laughs> All right, my, my microwave time is, is almost done here, and I'll, then I'll stop stalling. Sorry. No worries. <laughs> I really liked Oculus. I also will say it is a movie I should go back and revisit. It was a movie that had been hyped a lot, probably by you, Vic. And I... Yeah was excited about seeing it and then I saw it with a group of people. I remember feeling like kind of like I'd like missed something a little bit. I remember I got to the ending and I wasn't like a hundred percent sure what was going on. I definitely find like almost all of Mike Flanagan's movies um, pretty affecting and I'm excited to go back and look at it again. I do remember the like the performances both from the adults and the kids in it were really good. I love the way they kind of flash back and forward, which which oddly is something that comes up in Hill House. I wouldn't go on record saying it's my favorite Mike Flanagan movie. Um, if you want to hear which one is, you'll have to wait until season three. <laughs> um, 
I remember it being very good. I would have no problem voting it in because I feel pretty confident that if I gave it a, a measured viewing, I would enjoy it. Yeah, I would be pretty surprised if when we do revisit this, I'm like, oh, God, what, what were we thinking? Uh, because, yeah, he's he's a pro and I am a fan. And I do have one on the list to come that personally I reacted to a little more strongly. But, uh, you know, when the dust settles, would I be shocked if I prefer this one? No. Um, my biggest memories, uh, again, this was one I, I saw myself once and don't have hugely strong feelings, but uh, I was always a Katie Sackhoff fan, and so it was good to see her, and it definitely had a really smart and sophisticated concept. The storytelling was daring and original, and I, I was very much impressed by it, even at that point, not really knowing who he was, though I had seen, thanks to Mike Kuchek, the late, great Mike Kuchek, even though, again, he is alive. <laughs> Always have to caveat that. <laughs> Just not on the podcast. He had put me onto his very first film, Absentia, which... I've never seen it. I've heard it was, like, okay. Yeah, that was totally my thought. Like, I did not feel as passionately uh, as he did, and this was only two years later, and I definitely... Uh, was much more impressed by Oculus. So um, very pleased to put it on our list. And that's, uh, yeah, that's non, non-controversial. So I'm going to give you um, a little more of an off-the-beaten-path one for this was number five on my list of 32. It's Terrified. And uh, I believe this is an Argentinian film from the last two or three years. To date, I've only seen it once. But uh, it absolutely had me from the, by the throat from the knockout opening sequence on. And I defy you guys to watch the first few minutes of this and not yell, holy fucking shit. It's so funny that you should say that because in preparation for this, we have been planning this uh, for some time, trying to figure this out. And John has just been uh, spitting out new movies daily for the past <laughs> few days as he fleshes out his list with these surprise entries. And so last night I was like, oh, I got to, I got to catch up on some of these. I had recently signed up to signed up for a shutter. And so I turned on terrified. I was only able to get about 30 minutes into it. Um, but honestly, that was kind of enough for me. Yeah. I was like, yep. Like I'm on, I'm on board with this movie. The hook of the movie was, was great. I won't step on the rest of it for you, but I will say I haven't finished the movie but I do feel like you, you have my vote. Oh, glad to hear that, Rich. And yeah, one of yours, I, I believe, I had the exact same experience where I, I watched enough to, to know that it's worthy of further study and inclusion. So yeah, I'm really glad to hear that. But uh, I, I will say that the rest of the movie may not totally live up to that standard, but it doesn't fall off a cliff. And the whole movie is loaded with really memorable and genuinely disturbing scares. And I don't think it's a spoiler to say the basic concept is that in this movie, it's not one haunted house. It's several. It's a haunted neighborhood. How cool is that? I expect to love this even more on my second viewing. So if anything, you know, it, it could move up. I'm, I'm proud to put it on there. Well, I'll, I will just say this, uh, Rich. I'm really glad that you voted for it because I, I basically had to choose between watching this and <laughs> – sorry. Under the Shadow, which is another one of the movies that John threw out, which is an Iranian film. And uh, I, went with, I went with that one last night 
we can we can talk about that in a bit. But I was like, holy shit! I don't have any I don't have anything to say about terrified. I'm I'm excited to watch it, John. I'm glad uh, I'm glad you brought it up. But this is I think the first one that one of us hasn't actually seen. So uh, mm-hmm. I'm glad it's on the list, and I look forward to checking it out. It really is a full-time job keeping up with John shenanigans. It's true. <laughs> I'm really enjoying the the last uh, year or so that I, I don't have kids. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> there you go. I'm, I'm still able to watch movies on a pretty regular basis. And, uh, you know, and who knows? We might need a new uh, co-host uh, next time because Vic is dying of tuberculosis. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Vic. <laughs> you're you're going to be mad when it turns out that I really do have yeah. <laughs> Yep, I would be very mad. Uh, yeah, I think, Rich, it's back to you, bud. What's next? It really makes me nervous when it's my turn. <laughs> um, I'll tell you, I do think this is, this is much harder than it seems like it would be. It's not just that you would narrow this down to your favorite 16 horror movies. It is that you narrowed it down to your top 16 haunted house movies and even then, you start thinking of movies that are your favorite haunted house movie, and when you've broken it down to subgenres as we have, you're like, no, that one's not really a haunted house movie. It's actually like a ghost movie. Um, you know, no. it's actually a monster movie. And so, is it actually a fairly daunting process once you start to to split hairs like that? Especially if you realize that it's thirty two and not sixteen that you were supposed to come up with. <laughs> Am I really supposed to have thirty two movies? Cool. <laughs> Well, hey, if you got 16, man, yeah, if you got 16, uh, we'll take the 16. But uh, in any event, um, what uh, what's next, man? I mean, throw it out there. Don't be shy. All right. The next one is uh, everyone's going to have seen this movie. So this is definitely uh, probably one of the more mainstream movies here. Uh, Paranormal Activity. Oh, yes. Yes, yes. All right. Well, uh, make the preliminary case, if you would, sir. I know that it was not the first found footage movie uh, by a long shot, but it did sort of redefine the game. And it did it for a good reason. It's a tight, effective, bare bones ghost story. And the scares in it are good. I mean, they're not so good that you know, they really elicited the responses that were happening in the the trailers that they were showing at the time, which showed, you know, teenagers leaping out of their seats and screaming at the top of their lungs. Like it wasn't that frightening, Mm -hmm. but they are effective and they are simple. It's low budget filmmaking that plays to its strengths. And there's a reason why it spawned several sequels, some of which aren't bad. Absolutely. In fact, uh, a certain sequel might be on my list uh, coming up here. Yeah, I think that this one, I, I saw it in the theater with uh, Kuchek, actually, and I, I didn't. it didn't blow me away the same way that, for instance, Blair Witch did uh, in, the, in the found footage genre. But, I mean, I do think it's a landmark film, and it, it is extremely effective uh, at points. And while it may not have as much wall-to-wall scariness as I would like to see, the fact that it's found footage and it's so down-to-earth and so, you know, the, the, the artifice of reality is so strong in it that you kind of forgive that and you're really kind of swept up in the concept of this just being 
uh, real people capturing this, you know, with their consumer grade cameras, um, you know, people down the street from you, kind of literally, I will say as a caveat that uh, the actress Katie Featherstone was a waitress at the Saddle Ranch at the Universal City City Walk. You guys hung out there a lot more than I did, but like you could have, she was. I confirmed this, like because it was you know people were making a big deal out of it at the time. She was working when the movie was in the the multiplex, so you could have seen the film and then gone there I'm and she her. yes that's, that's great yeah yeah because she you know wasn't hadn't made any money off of it at that point. Um, which is kind of mind blowing. She ever did. Yeah. Sadly, she was a very talented actress from a, um, physical perspective. Um, (laughs) tasteful, John. I tried, I tried. She's buxom everybody. Um, that's, that's what I'm going for. Yeah. So I, I second it. I don't have a ton to say now, but it's certainly one that was on my list. And I think we, we need to scrutinize it as part of this process. I think we can, all agree that the criminally underseen Rennie Harlan found footage film Devil's Pass is the best found footage film of all time. Unfortunately, it's a it's a monster film, not a haunted house film, so it doesn't qualify for it, this list. Trust me, Vic. I, I wasn't just gonna you know like stroke your ego. Like when we got there, that was going to be on my list. I, I'm not but, kidding. Well, that's the John. That's the sweetest thing. And and if this drives up. Any viewership for that, I'll be I'll be really really pleased. But uh, <laughs> paranormal activity, obviously, on my list. Uh, Rich, I believe you and I saw it together at a, a midnight screening at the Hollywood ArcLight in one of the early screenings when it was like if you know the the whole marketing concept was like if you want to see this movie, like let us know and maybe we'll release it in your town. And so of course it came to mm-hmm. Los Angeles. What I remember is that my my uh, my wife Emily who was just my girlfriend at the time, but we were living together. No interest in this. Right. So I get home at two 30 in the morning and I had pretty much the same reaction. This is, this was a solid movie. It played to its strengths. It was very, it was, it was scary. It was not earth shatteringly scary. John, like you, I had a much stronger reaction to the Blair witch project until I went to get into bed next to my sleeping wife Mm. and, and, and suddenly had that thought of like, does she in the middle of the night and stand next to the bed and like stare at me. Yeah. Uh, and so it's the fact that it followed me home to that kind of intimate personal moment definitely gives it a spot on the list. I agree with that. I mean, that's a, that's a really good insight. And I would say that I've always been drawn and nobody really cracked it. Certainly not myself, even though I flirted with the idea but like I've always been drawn to the idea of bed horror, for lack of a better term, you know, just like a you know a haunted bed or or whatever, like just the idea of being so vulnerable and uh, sleepwalking is very scary, you know. And, and I think people have 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 dealt with it, but this movie is in the in the highest pantheon of mining that for really unnerving moments. So even if, again, there's a lot of fucking bullshit in this film, um, there's a lot of like pseudo scares. And I would, I would say that on balance, the third movie gives you a lot more bang for your buck, but this movie, it's a paradigm shifter. So it belongs pretty high on the list. So glad you brought it up. Uh, well, since I already mentioned it, I'm going to go ahead and throw on, uh, knowing I suspect this is also on John's list. 
the uh, the Iranian film Under the Shadow. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which I uh, I watched last night and found uh, pretty impressive. The cultural differences are are equally interesting. This is a film that's set during the last years of the Iran-Iraq war in Tehran. So you have a uh, wife and her daughter who are in an apartment in a city that's been bombed kind of continuously for like eight years. So you have this overarching uh, tension that has nothing to do with ghosts or spirits or, or sort of in this case, gin. The ways that they use that setting and that backdrop – Again, the the differences in the in the culture. This is sort of post cultural revolution in Iran. Uh, these are all a lot of issues that I think are still floating around in our consciousness and and that kind of stuff. So it was it was a fascinating watch in a lot of ways. And frankly, I really really made my hair stand up on end a few times. It's a very well made movie, and I enjoyed it. So did I. So did I. And I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. The fact that it has this exotic to us setting Tehran in the height of the Iran Iraq war makes its haunting totally unique while at the same time the film delivers the goods for the haunted house subgenre so making brilliant use of its unique setting and, and and cultural milieu is what takes it to a level you know of of uniqueness but just seen as a normal haunted house movie like it does not disappoint. So I absolutely think that it belongs here and I'm glad that you, you put it on because it, it impressed me, impressed me quite a bit. And I think there are levels to it that one viewing did not entirely mind. So I am hoping that I like it even more moving forward. Rich, did you get a chance to see this one? By the way, somebody is clanking something like, um, I hear a kind of a clanking. Really? Describe mm-hmm. it. Describe it more. Almost like a, a spoon hitting a glass. Really? Not yeah. like a crying child, like buried inside a wall. <laughs> oh, we'll get there. <laughs> Several of these um, movies fit that description. <laughs> sorry, that is my clanking, and uh, that's because I'm over here eating something because I haven't seen this movie. <laughs> <laughs> that's and I okay. I don't want to hear what you have to say about it because I'm just got to wait until I watch it. <laughs> uh, so sorry for the noise. I'm all done now, and uh, go up, please go on with your discussion. That's okay. I mean, I want to say this worked out. Rich, you watched Terrified. I watched Under the Shadow. Both movies made the list. This worked. Absolutely. That's you yes. guys couldn't have coordinated the it better. Works. <laughs> the yes. system works. Yes, yes, it does. All right. Well, grand. I'm kind of surprised that I'm the one to nominate this because I'm just going down my list and I wrote like little notes for the movies that I thought you guys would not talk about, but I did not put notes for things that we had a consensus on. So I'm going to mention The Haunting here because that's next on my list, the Robert Wise film. Um, wait, wait, I'm sorry, not the Jan de Bond? <laughs> no. Bond? <laughs> I, I know that I sounded like I was endorsing the Jan de Bond film. But no, we're talking about the 1963 classic. Um, and look, the, the biggest thing that I can say about this movie is that it does more with less than most films. Like there's not a lot of gruesome spooks and specters and macabre violence in this film. It's a very subtle movie, but, um, it has probably my favorite 
sequence that you would just say is purely auditory. Like there's almost no visual component to it, but just characters listening to something going on on the other side of their bedroom door. Uh, it's, it's in the top five of those type of sequences, um, that I can imagine. Like it, it always sticks out for me. And I, I think that overall it's a classic. So it was going to end up on the list somewhere and, you know, kind of by value of attrition and reputation, it just has to rise to six on my list. And it's not something that I I see regularly and I'm not going to necessarily drive it to the finals of our tournament, but I have a lot of respect for it. And I think that it has dimensions to it that could, you know, be really fascinating for us to, to delve into in detail. So Robert Wise's The Haunting comes in um, at uh, number six on my list overall. I also have it pretty high on my list. I feel about the same way that it's it's more impressive for w- what it does. It I feel like it doesn't hold up necessarily as well, uh, maybe as even some other older haunt uh, – uh, other – older haunted house movies. But I mean, look, Robert Wise directed the haunting and then went on to direct West side story and the sound of music. Like that's, that's the dirty dozen to know. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. Like that's the, the, that alone I think merits a a discussion of it, but no, it's a, it's a fascinating, uh, fascinating story been retold a few times and, and definitely belongs on the list. Dead air from Rich. <laughs> I was waiting on my I was waiting for my I'm sorry, Rich. It's <laughs> actually a perfect segue because my take on it not only sums up the movie, but also my level of professionalism. Not only do I only have 16 of the 32 movies I'm supposed to have, <clears throat> but one of those movies is, in fact, The Haunting. Oh! But here's the twist. I've never seen The Haunting. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Just on reputation alone, huh? <laughs> I, I actually don't remember putting it on my list, but here it is. I, um, I think this was something that maybe we were having a discussion about it, and so it ended up on there. Um, I'm relatively certain that I have not seen this movie. I actually do feel like I'm a bit of a blind spot for those like pre seventies, uh, which I believe this falls into that category, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Pre seventies haunted house movies. I think just because of the concern about how interesting they would be, I never got around to them. So that doesn't say much about the quality of the movie, but that's my story. Well, I've seen this enough times that like I can put it on there with, with some confidence that I do think it can still play and right. Like, is it going to win the tournament? No, but like, I'm, it's not totally just a traditionalist pick here. You know, like I, I think it, it did some things that were extremely influential. I mean, I think that Flanagan picked up a lot of what really works about his take on it was inspired by this film. And I, I think that it's going to be interesting to, 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 to mine. So um, it's not totally just a, oh, well, everybody likes that movie. Cause I don't do that. Like, that's not the way I'm approaching this at all. I think it does. Um, it, it still has moments that, that genuinely scare me. And that's, 
very important to me in this process. So uh, we're back to you, Rich. What's uh, what's next? And we're going to run out of movies for you before too long, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm a decent improviser. <laughs> I am going to reach back now to let's see. I'm, I'm just having to skip over. I did have Oculus on my list, um, so that one's getting crossed out. I'm going to reach back to 1999. And the Kevin Bacon movie, Stir of Echoes, uh, based on the story by Richard Matheson. I've never actually read the story by Richard Matheson, but I am a big fan of his work. Stir of Echoes, for anyone who doesn't recall, is, and this this is going off of memory a tiny bit, but basically the story of this suburban dad who is being haunted with these kind of not so much haunted by a ghost as much as he's being haunted by little recollections and catching things that almost play like deja vu to him. And he can't quite piece together what they mean. And over the course of the movie starts to realize that they are pieces that tell the story of what happened to some unfortunate person in his neighborhood. The conceit right there is one of the things I remember making it really compelling at the time. I remember doing a a really good job of almost in like a final destination sort of way, having all these beats that were creepy, but you couldn't quite like the character didn't fully understand what they were experiencing. You didn't know what they were experiencing, but you knew it wasn't good. And so you were sort of watching him, the character slowly get pulled into, into madness over trying to decipher these clues until it's revealed and the reveal itself being pretty heartbreaking and, and chilling at the same time. Which is a great was, combo. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, directed by David Coop, who, if I recall, was behind the Spider-Man movies. Am I making that up? He's an A-list screenwriter in the uh, early part of this century uh, who didn't okay. do a lot of directing. But yeah, one of the, the best paid screenwriters in Hollywood for a good 15 years. Well, hey, good for him. Um, but yeah, this movie really stuck with me. Another one of those ones that it's been a while since I've seen it, but it's definitely scenes of it have always stuck with me. Well, this one was something that I actually associate with Vic, like along the lines of uh, Below. Like I always knew he loved this movie. I don't have strong memories of it. I, I know that I, I saw it once and I certainly didn't not like it. So this is one that I'm, I'm eager to delve into, but I'm sort of going on reputation in trusting that it belongs on our list because... Um, I couldn't say anything intelligent about it at this time. But, Vic, I have a feeling you can. John, I think I can, but it's really strange to hear you say that because I – this movie is on my list, but it's near the bottom. Mm. Um, I, I don't think of it as a, a particularly strong Richard Matheson adaptation. I don't think of David Kapp as a particularly strong director. I know he did The a Secret Window with uh, Johnny Depp, which is mm-hmm. also not a great movie. This is a good movie. Kevin Bacon is is really good in it. Uh, I recall it deploying uh, Paint It Black by the Rolling mm-hmm. Stones very yeah. effectively in a couple of scenes, and it's and it has sort of a sort of a good mystery at its heart. It actually the the it's weird the association I have with it is Close Encounters of the Third Kind, in that it's about a dad 
who develops this obsession that alienates him from his family, mm. but he can't let it go. And he has to sort of get to the bottom of it, even though it means lying and, and, and doing a bunch of stuff that seems really strange and really odd. So it's it's on the list. Uh, I, I don't think it's um, – for me, it's it's not one of the strongest contenders. Maybe worth a revisit. Uh, I also – interestingly, I think this came out very near the release of The Sixth Sense. And I think – Well, 99. That, yeah, same year. So that kind of colored it that it mm-hmm. – you know, that it, next to The Sixth Sense, it was one of those movies that – maybe paled a little bit by comparison. So I wonder if on a revisit it will uh, it will be any stronger. I do sort of expect it. It is a movie that I feel like has probably suffered from being dated and is going to feel like a 90s movie, not in a good way. Again, for a haunted house movie in particular, I feel like it had an interesting presentation and like a different journey of discovery than you find in some of the more traditional movies. Well, I'm going to throw that uh, along with Hausu into the maybe category. It was on two lists. It's on, it's on two lists. I think it, I think it makes the it makes uh, the my list is fluid. My list is fluid. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Your list I doesn't like labels. Vic's Vic's comments have uh, they stopped me in my tracks, oh, and wow. so I'm 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 going to have to put that on the shelf for now, guys. Because I really thought that Vic was going to come out as a as a champion of this, and he's um, you know he, he's chasing me. So we're going to have to see. Uh, I'm going to put that. I mean, it, it could still make it, but that one is not guaranteed. Look, John, thirty two is a lot of fucking movies. Okay. I know, I know right. it is, guys. But we have to respect the process. Remember, always respect the process. So Man, we have we're to hear. Everybody, take a drink. <laughs> Yeah, that and Hollow Weekend are going to get people yeah. fucking hammered. <laughs> well, now that I know it's 32, I feel like you guys really need to start burning through your movies. Well, it'll definitely maybe speed you, things up. Go twice. <laughs> when you run out of movies, Rich, this will definitely – the pace will pick up. However, I will say that given that it's 1051 and we have 11 confirmed movies, I will posit that we could just officially stop at 16 and – record the second half of the show at a later date. I'm okay with that. I am too. Sure. sure. Good. Maybe, that would give me a chance maybe. to come up with another 16 movies. Yeah, that could really work out. All right, Vic, what do you have? All right. Since I don't want to fight about the next movie, uh, I'm going to go with what I believe will be pretty much a consensus pick with J.A. Bayona's The Orphanage. Um, which I think is maybe not the absolute scariest movie, but a Spanish film produced by Guillermo del Toro. I think you can feel his fingerprints on it. It is a a frequently unsettling movie that also has a very beautiful kind of lyrical story to tell, uh, very strong characters, really wonderful performances. And in particular, I had the unique experience of seeing this when I was unemployed uh, at – 11 o'clock on a Tuesday in a theater that was absolutely empty. And so that just heightened the scariness of it. 
in a way that I, I have not since been able to recreate, but uh, it's definitely a strong movie and, and definitely belongs. Because you're like, I could end up in an orphanage. I don't know where my next meal is coming from. I could have just, just you know, <laughs> shaved my beard and showed up on an orphanage. I mean, like, please, can I have some you were You were considering it, right? Yeah. If I were to do a statistical analysis of these uh, 12 movies that we have so far in the in list, it would be fascinating because there's a couple of outliers, the older movies, and then like one newer one. But most of them are either between 1999 and 2002 or 2007 through 2009. Uh, make of that what you will. But um, this this falls into that second category. Uh, apparently, those were spurts for haunted house films. I saw it in the theater as well. I've only seen it once, but uh, it definitely struck me as extremely effective. I thought that the scares were, you know, somewhat genre tropey, but they they found a way to make them their own. And I think that the, yeah, the overall setting and location of the story sort of in the vein of under the shadow, uh, elevated it and, and, and made it its own. I'm, I'm not like crazy high on this film, but my, my vague one viewing memory tells me there were some really scary things in it. And that's what I'm really looking for. So I, I definitely, can, can put this in the category of things that I'm eager to delve more deeply into. So I think it's in. It's in. I don't have a ton of feelings about The Orphanage. I honestly have never gotten a fair viewing of it. I've only seen it with a group. I remember Vic telling me that it was very good and him being really excited about it. And so I was interested in watching it. I honestly, for a long time, I think I actually got it confused with The Devil's Backbone because they're both Spanish language, right? Yeah, and Correct. Del Toro's a producer on the orphanage. Del Toro's a producer, yeah. They both take place in an orphanage. I, I, I really feel like for a while I thought they were the same movie. I don't have anything bad to say about it, but I need to see it again. Yeah, I would hazard a guess that the orphanage might be scarier than The Devil's Backbone. Like my, my vague recollection is that The Devil's Backbone is a better movie, but if we're talking about like what – is a more pure horror film, I would say The Orphanage. But yeah, it's it's going to be fun to look at again. I'm turning to another less conventional, newish film. And it's number seven on my list right now, which is kind of shocking. But uh, I've only seen it once, but I will happily revisit The Black Coat's Daughter. This script is one of my favorite horror specs that I've ever read. It was one that I read you know, a year or two before the movie was actually produced. And it kind of blew me away. Like the writing was just sort of a primer on what I think a horror spec, how it should read. And it's a guy, Oz Perkins, who just had a movie, Gretel and Hansel, uh, come out. He's the grandson or son. I think maybe he's just the son of Anthony Perkins. But he's got a way with, with the genre. He definitely has... A thing going on, and this movie kind of nails it. It's sort of an arty mindfuck of a horror movie, but it pulls no punches. It builds to a very cool conclusion that, in my case, I was pondering long after the credits rolled. It's one of my favorites, haunted housey. It's it's kind of more of a haunted school 
in this case, but uh, I think it's something that if you guys haven't seen, I think that um, I'm eager to see what you what you think of it. So I gave the Black Coat's Daughter a good shot a few months ago, and I tried to watch it three times, maybe just two, and I fell asleep every time I tried to watch it. It's a slow um, burn. It's a very slow burn, which usually does not bother me. I just something about its storytelling I found sort of like infuriatingly obtuse. Mm-hmm. Like I just couldn't figure out what the hell was going on. I would had made it up to the halfway point of the movie, and so I, I did feel a little frustrated with it. That said, I did I have enjoyed other movies that he's made, and I actually like his style. And I like the the slow pace of it. I should go back and explore it. I actually felt like I sort of left off right when it was getting to the good stuff. I did feel like it was certainly dripping with atmosphere and some very like moody performances and some pretty mysterious storytelling. So if it pays off, then I'm happy to go back and check it out. I would hope not to lead you wrong. I, I also fell asleep watching the black coat stutter so <laughs> i don't know what to tell you john how many kids were you wrangling that night <laughs> i'm always wrangling it seems like 10 it seems like i'm running an orphanage john <laughs> so that's why you like the orphanage so much yes, you can, exactly. you can relate that's, yeah like a frightened quarterback i'm seeing ghosts i don't know if there's kids in the room right now they might be i don't know <laughs> as a side note how many of these movies feature ghost kids like 60% of them? Just I, just, I, I just mentioning say, it. Yeah, they yeah. are always those kids. Yeah. Kids are fucking scary, man. All right? Um, we'll get into that. I think, John, I, I think this gets a, this this goes into the uh, the maybe pile. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I hate to admit it. I, that's the feeling I'm getting from you guys. Yeah. So, yeah, okay. It's in the maybe pile. Fair enough. I'm going to crack a uh, my other old standby of the pod, which is the Sculpin IPA, and this is going to be the stretch run, the um, the one for the road, everybody. Ah, uh, yes, the cans, yes. The cans do play the best on audio. Oh yeah, I'm prejudiced towards the cans for our pod, so luckily I like this one a lot. I'm going to get a white claw after this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you absolutely should. Better than water, which is a good segue to Rich. <laughs> Look, I'm not happy about it either, John. <laughs> I do applaud you, Rich, honestly. I'm going to do a little coloring outside the lines here. This movie, I know I'm throwing it out as sort of a sacrificial lamb, but it was honestly not the first, but one of the first movies I went to as soon as I made this list. And it is a ghost story, the movie from 2017 that I tried to actually clear with the with the group beforehand because I will acknowledge up front that this movie was not actually intended to scare anyone in any conventional sense. I would not call it a horror movie, but I would definitely call it a supernatural film, and I would absolutely call it a haunted house movie. For the, the uninitiated, it is a it's a movie that that's a that, that basically stars Casey Affleck, although you almost never see him. Let's just say that him and his wife move into a house. He passes away. This all happens pretty early in the film, so it's not really giving anything away. And he is he rises from the the table in his death shroud that the coroner has put over him, 
and he wears it like an old-fashioned cartoon ghost, complete with the two eye holes um, at the top of it. And I don't want to give away the movie, but the movie is basically about what it's like when if you're a ghost and you return back to the home where your wife was and you are forced to spend the rest of eternity stuck in this one space where your family and your loved ones was to sit there and watch the rest of time go by until the end of time. I thought it was a fascinating movie. Certainly falls a little bit on the side of like kind of a quirky, emotional indie film, but I will say that it is in some ways legitimately frightening is, is, is maybe a strong word, but disturbing. Certainly it has a lot of heartache, a lot of fear. There are moments where the ghost played by Affleck who never speaks does fly into a rage and plays the character of the angry ghost and terrifies families that are, that are living inside the home um, there's parts where he's resigned and listens to other people talking and like you really get some very like poignant discussions about the meaning of time and, and life. And I think that it has something to say about just like the the pointlessness of being. So enjoy. <laughs> I legitimately love is a strong word, but I'm 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 almost there. This movie really, really affected me and I would say in my overall appreciation of cinema and what it does and what I look for it hits a bullseye but I'll put aside until I hear from Vic whether or not it's germane to this conversation (laughs) that's that's a sacrificial lamb Rich (laughs) yes yes it is (laughs) sorry sorry This is a quest for the greatest horror film of all time, and that is not a horror film. So, nope. I, Thank you. I, I I appreciate I appreciate all the all the work you put into that, but uh, it is not on my list. But you should still seek it out if you haven't seen it. <laughs> <laughs> I love the bawling, Vic. Yeah. No, I mean, I think in, in a podcast about haunted house movies, um, yeah, let's uh, let's bring it up because it, it literally is a haunted house movie, and it's very good. But yeah, that that is not in the maybe pile. That is the first in the no way pile. You know, Rich, God bless you. You knew that was coming, and you put it out there anyway, so I, I respect that. So I want to try and get some of the stuff out there that I feel really strongly about. Yeah. Uh, so I want to throw out uh, Nicholas McCarthy's The Pact, mm-hmm. which we watched on my birthday when I had a double feature with uh, an Australian film called The Loved Ones that will surely show up oh, yeah. in a different season of this magnificent new podcast we're on. I found The Pact to be terrifying in a, in a lot of ways. It's a very low budget, very quiet film. It takes some weird twists and turns. The best thing I can say about it is my Emily did watch this with us because it was my birthday and she had no choice. And when we moved into our new house, she made me get on a ladder and look in the attic to make sure that no one was living there. <laughs> I love that. Uh, and, and, and so I, I can't think of anything else that would recommend that movie higher. Yes, 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 yes. Like almost everything it seems like we're, t- we're talking about, I've seen it once – 
I'm not going to really, you know, put my reputation on the line with any big statements, but uh, I was very much impressed by it. it. It came out at a time where there were a lot of interesting horror films, but this very much bubbled to the top. And there are elements of the of the premise and kind of the combination. I'd, again, not to give anything away because we don't want to do that on this show. But the combination of not antagonists, but let's just say that it's not exactly what you think it's going to be. And the way that things play out and the surprises is is very disturbing. Let's just say this is definitely a haunted house movie and it's definitely very effective. I 100% support it as uh, 13 on the list so far. I just wasn't I, – I was not very impressed by this movie it felt sort of low budget and flat to me, but I'm eager to come back and see it. I will say that the twist of the movie is something that I recall frequently. I do think that the reveal of what's going on or the initial reveal anyways of what's going on is pretty disturbing. So it had that going for it. I just felt like the filmmaking itself wasn't quite up to par with it, but I'm happy to re-review you're just saying that because I bought it. Uh, I'm shitting on every movie you suggest from here on out. <laughs> just to be clear. The battle lines were drawn when you started bawling like a sheep, Vic. <laughs> <laughs> the battle lines. <laughs> now, I will say, like, Rich, it, it definitely feels like a, an indie but I do recall, like, a, one of my faint memories of this 2012 movie was that it was shot very well considering that. But I can't totally disagree. We'll see how it does in our little tournament. But I think that um, I'm, I'm glad that it's in there. That is 13. So we're three movies away from uh, calling time out and saying uh, we'll be back next time. So we're building to the crescendo of this particular podcast because it's a two-parter, everybody. And I think that, honestly, the last 16 movies of our 32, especially once Rich compiles a list of of the last 16 movies, um, could be the most interesting because we're going to, you know, all the gimmies are gone. It's going to really be a debate of preferences. And I think that could be a great conversation between the three of us. But At the moment, we're three movies away from putting the punctuation on this pod. I think I'm going to throw one out that uh, I don't think there's a lot of support for, but I will champion it. And it's The Innkeepers. This movie charmed the hell out of me. It's one of the rare films that is mostly low-key, practically a horror comedy, until it decides to go no-holds-barred on the terrifying, lethal ghost action. And if it didn't genuinely scare me, this would be more of a footnote in the subgenre. But because I absolutely love the haunting aspects and the approach to the ghosts that this movie takes, plus the sort of American indie film vibe, I thought that the, the combo really stands out as being extremely successful in sort of the vein of what I would consider an entire movement of films. I think I've touched on it here and there on the pod, the American independent horror film scene, which is 
uh, Adam Wingard and um, Mumblegore, John. That's true. That's what you're looking. Thank for. you, Vic. Yes, the Mumblegore thing. Like I think that this movie is uh, a really strong entry in that uh, in that sub sub genre, and I just uh, I really enjoy it, and I've seen it a couple of times. Ty West is the director, and I like his work generally speaking. And I think that this movie absolutely has a place on this list. The problem that I had with this movie was sort of what you're what you're alluding to is it actually suffered from the way I watched it, which was that I came across House of the Devil a few days beforehand and just watched it on a whim. I hadn't heard anything about it and I loved it. And immediately I was like, what else has this guy done? And so I, you know, went and found the innkeepers somewhere and watched it. And boy, was I let down. I felt like this just had none of like the nuance and atmosphere and tension and like building of dread that that movie had. And instead sort of played cutesy with the comedy of the two innkeepers banter back and forth. I believe there's actually an appearance by Lena Dunham at some point. She's like the coffee shop. Yeah. Barista. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Who gets to be a little quippy a bit. I I didn't hate it at all. I just was disappointed. Um, But that's coming off the house of the devil. So that's a pretty like, that's a pretty high ledge to, you know, I mean, I would definitely say the house of the devil is um, in a class of its own compared to this film. But I really thought that this movie carved out its own lower place on the totem pole. But in a world of, of ghost movies, like just thinking about the particular story and the imagery of this ghost, uh, you know, I thought it, it, it freaked the hell out of me. And then I was entertained by the the mumblecore aspects of it. So Vic, uh, why don't you weigh in on this? Because looks like your opinion is going to be crucial. John, I'm right there with you. I love the Innkeepers. I think it's a great movie. I actually think I agree that it is it is less than the House of the Devil, but not by much. I really enjoy this movie. The last segments of it really scared the hell out of me. I enjoyed the performances. I found the people relatively charming. It's a that's a that's a winner. It's on my list. All right, I'm jacking it up. It wow, just I find that surprising. Well, you never know, Rich. You might like it more. You know, like the next I time might. you see it. Well, weirdly enough, like I remember, I'm intrigued because I remember the ghost in it as being having such a brief appearance at the end of the movie that it felt like we just sort of like skipped past the climax. So maybe I missed something, but I thought I was paying attention. Maybe you were getting a beer or, you know, cooking up some ribs or hitting the hot tub or I don't know. Who knows? That sounds like a pretty that sounds like a pretty great afternoon, John. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? <laughs> I was kind of like tapping into wait for it, Hollow Weekend memories there. But <laughs> uh, no no no. That was definitely a that was me and my wife like sat down. I you know, I was like I was like, I watched this movie the other night, it was amazing. <laughs> but we got to see this now. Your story definitely contextualizes it. But, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. So 14 movies are in. We got two more spots, three floating in limbo, one definite out. 
Ba ba, <laughs> and, and we're back to you, Rich. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm just going to lean into failure here, and and go with another much maligned movie. Let's scare Jessica to death. I believe it was '77, but uh, let's scare Jessica to death is uh, a just an amazing title. Yes, um, yes. I've always loved it just for the title. But even after watching the movie, it doesn't really add up to anything or, or make it much sense. But it's basically about a girl who moves with her boyfriend. I'm doing this from memory. Moves with her boyfriend to a farmhouse in rural somewhere and has kind of the classic there's something not right with the people in the town experience. They end up taking in a couple of uh, like hippie drifters into their farmhouse and strange things are afoot. And it sort of briefly flirts with the idea that maybe vampirism is involved, but it also never fully embraces that. It's kind of all over the place. It is a strange pastiche of uh, different horror tropes, but it is all certainly centered around this farmhouse. And it has that Rosemary's Baby kind of vibe where you're not quite sure if the woman involved is just losing her mind like everyone tells her she is or if there's really something happening until you get to a very prolonged third act. A lot of people don't like it just because it is a little slow, and especially it's 70s slow, Um, and I can respect that. But it is dripping with atmosphere, and it is definitely chock full of ideas and not a ripoff of anything else that was going on right at that time. Interesting. I have not seen this film. It was not one that I managed to get to when I was cramming. So my my main question for you, Rich, because I think you do make a, a, a good case for it. It's a very intriguing film. Is that if we watch this movie, like what are the odds that we would actually say, no, that is not a haunted house movie? I definitely recall this being a the thing that makes that made me throw it on the list for a haunted house movie without going back to like break it down piece by piece is that the house itself is such a character in it yeah um it's possible that you could make the argument that that it maybe is like a cultish film of some kind but i feel fairly confident that it does fit into the genre well, it definitely in the IMDb logline, like front and center, it says a supposedly haunted country farmhouse. So I'm inclined to say that it, it could fit the category. And I, I have to say, I'm, I'm intrigued so far. Uh, Vic, what, what's your reaction to this nomination? So I, I kind of have a list of movies that I need to revisit. This is a movie that I've seen bits and pieces of over the years, and I have – kind of vague recollections of the weird townspeople and some of that kind of stuff. I I feel like my general rating is like an eye for incomplete. I need to, I think we should put this aside. I think John, you and I should revisit it. Yeah. And, uh, and and then let's, let's, let's return to this and see if, uh, uh, how we feel about it. Well, that's the benefit of splitting this into two pods is that, you know, we can double back. So, all right. I think that's a, that's a strong maybe because I, I would love to discover a new haunted house movie that I haven't seen before. And I've, I've heard the name and I, I, I do love the title. Uh, it looks intriguing. So thank you, Rich. Uh, Vic, you're up, buddy. What, what you got? 
All right, I am going to go with the uh, Daniel Radcliffe vehicle, The Woman in Black. That is uh, based on, I believe, a famous sort of UK myth. The movie itself is a period piece. Daniel Radcliffe is sent to uh, an old English manor where someone's died to try and solve the mysteries within. I don't remember the exact setup uh, with him. What I do remember is that there is, in the middle of the film, about a, a... Literally a 10 to 15 minute totally wordless sequence of Daniel Radcliffe in the house by himself that is as terrifying as anything I've seen put on film. Uh, I love this movie. I own it and uh, I, I, I definitely think it belongs in the list. What's really interesting, Vic, is that I watched that sequence two and a half hours ago. All right. Yeah, and uh, that's all I needed to see. Rich alluded to earlier, okay, if you only have 30, 40 minutes, but, uh, you know, it's enough to convince you one way or the other. For now, like, I think that's enough. And I did have to turn it off in the morning when he opens the door and Siren Hines shows up and, like, he's shocked that it's, um, Daniel Radcliffe is shocked that it's morning. Up to that, like, for a PG-13 movie... I, my thought kept coming back to the fact that this is genuinely scary. And I'm not sure I'm going to put it in the rare air that you did, but uh, that, like, it is a quite a long sequence, his his night of horror alone in this, in this house. It, it's loaded with effective shots and moments of, of dread, and I was very much in the thrall of this movie under under its spell. So I can absolutely second that notion that it, it belongs here. I have seen this movie. I don't know if I've seen it completely. So I've, I'm definitely, as Vic, as you said, I'm an incomplete on it. I've seen bits and pieces, but yeah, I've, I've never sat down and watched the whole thing. My impression was that it was it was shiny but had potential. It did have that like big budget horror sort of thing that made me think that it was going to be kind of watered down, but I can't say that it was because I didn't see it. Yeah, I thought that the cinematography was uh, outstanding. Obviously, I have to see how The Woman in Black ends, but um, I think that it had a good head on its shoulders in terms of how it approached the very hoary, time-honored cliches of, of, of ghost mythology. I, I, I liked the hard edge that the backstory had, and I thought that the scares were really well executed. So I'm optimistic about it. And so as of now, it sits at number 15, and I believe it's my turn to throw out a movie. So number nine on my list in this category. This could be controversial. It's The Skeleton Key, written by Aaron Kruger of The Ring fame. And uh, yeah, this is one that I don't see getting a lot of love. The 2000 film, 2005 Kate Hudson film in softly not exactly a horror icon directed the movie and to me i just like i expected nothing and i've only seen it once but it uh it affected me this movie affected me on levels that aren't entirely connected to horror the existential dread of life of aging of dying 
which I do think can be drawn into horror films. But this is one of the films that if you pay close attention to the opening scene, it adds to a huge payoff in the final scene. Because what's going on under the surface of this movie thematically is pretty devastating. For me, this is one of the great horror movie endings, and I enjoy the ride all the way through. I like the setting. I like the sort of New Orleans, I mean, Louisiana voodoo thing the movie is doing. Uh, I think it's all, you know, very solid genre stuff. But the sort of bookends and the ideas of the film are what left a lasting impression on me. So I got to throw it in there. John, I I like this movie. I agree with you that it's very cleverly constructed. I amusingly heard an interview with John Hurt who said that he basically got the offer with the money and took it and didn't realize until much later that he had no actual lines in the film. (laughs) Um, My only objection is that I'm not sure this qualifies as a haunted house film. Yeah, that's fair. There is not, strictly speaking a disembodied spirit or ghost or entity or supernatural element involved. Now there, there are, well, there are supernatural elements, but I I mean, that's a, it's a real gray area. I won't fight. I won't fight too hard on it. If Rich is on board, but that would be my argument. It's not on my list. Mostly for that reason. I agree with you. I like the movie. I think it's I think it's well done. I recall the performances, especially the mood and the atmosphere. Ian Softly, I weirdly remember because he directed a movie called K-Pax with right. Kevin Spacey and Jeff Bridges and was on that list of like attainable directors who weren't going to cost $20 million. Uh, so he was back when back in our Copelson days, he was on everybody's directing list. Mm-hmm. Um, Most famous for the wings of the dove, by the way. With, ah, uh, those hell in a Helena bottom car. Mm-hmm. Yep. There you go. No, um, I mean, look, Vic, I can't really argue with that. I can't totally say this is a haunted house movie. So I think I'm going to throw it in the maybe pile and it's probably going to show up uh, later in our journey. So, uh, Rich, yeah, what are, fair what are enough. your thoughts? I hated K-Pax. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, that was dramatic. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> K-Pax was a terrible movie. I did not see The Skeleton Key. Can you list their similarities? Oh, God, I hope not. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I never saw K-Pax. I, I do not have a point of reference. I am amused by the idea that Kate Hudson and Gina Rowlands started a movie together. I do genuinely wonder what their conversations about acting must have been like. But um, <laughs> I haven't seen it. I think Kate Hudson is genuinely good in this movie. But um, Vic, I think, yeah, this is very much at the bottom of the maybe pile. Um, you definitely raised some some very good points there. So, uh, Rich, back to you, man. Do you got another one? Number 16, Rich. Let's put this away. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll throw out one that's a little more traditional. Um, just to kind of try to rein it back in again. Um, I don't know what year this is. I would guess it's the late 90s. The Michelle Pfeiffer Harrison Ford movie, What Lies Beneath, uh, directed by Robert Zemeckis. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Not, Not only directed by Robert Zemeckis, directed by Robert Zemeckis while he was filming Castaway, when they 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 stopped filming so that Tom Hanks could lose all the weight 
for when they cut ahead six months to oh, him wow. on the island or however long it is. He went off and filmed What Lies Beneath and then came back and finished filming Castaway. I that's, have no idea why I know that. That's a nice tidbit there, Vic. Wow. That's a, that's a cool story. I do yeah. really love Castaway. And it fits into my bizarre, arbitrary, most of our movies fall into three-year windows because it's a 2000 film. So it's in cohort one of our little study uh, of Ghosts of Haunted House films. Yeah, I remember this movie fairly clearly. I saw it in Boston when I was um, getting my master's in screenwriting, and I definitely was impressed by the twists and turns, and I did think it had some scary elements. I never found it like – it felt like sort of a horror movie for normies. Yeah, that's fair. I'd say it definitely fits in that like sort of Hitchcockian yeah. murder mystery mold, but it does have – and I can't remember exactly what they were, but I do remember that it specifically did have supernatural elements to it. I think that would be a, a, a spoiler to get into it, but yeah, there's there's certainly a supernatural payoff in the in the movie. Definitely qualifies as a haunted house film, John. <laughs> I, I will say this I tried to sneak was, one over over de- your head. Definitely towards the towards the bottom of my list, but this is a movie that I largely remember as being almost along the lines of like um those sort of like those pot boilers that we have now, like uh like the girl on the train, where it's you know about a a busybody who's sort of obsessing over the the fact that maybe someone else was murdered or something suspicious had happened, and ends up like kind of kind of uncovering a bigger mystery and becoming a victim herself. I mean, Zemeckis at the towards the end of the century was kind of operating at the top of his game for like an A-list director, I thought. Yeah. For someone who tended to, to delve into fantasy and sci-fi and horror, I bet the effects look dated now, but they looked very good back then. My guess would be that the story probably still holds up just fine, even if it's probably not going to be the most inventive thing you've seen recently. Especially, again, for the year 2000, you have an A-list director, you have two A-list movie stars doing something that, that I agree is very much emulating Hitchcock if he'd ever made a, a real sort of traditional ghost story. But you put those elements together, like what you've got is, yes, sort of shiny Hollywood. I like I like uh, horror movie for normies. Mm-hmm. Um, I, think, I think that's a that's a good description. But as horror movies for normies go, it's one of the best. So yeah, I'm, that's on my list, and uh, I believe we have nailed down number sixteen. Well, I was actually going to give you Vic uh, the opportunity to throw out your next one and see if it was you know fun or interesting to debate the two of these and and leave one of them oh. kind of in the in the pool. Um, well, do you, do you want to take a shot at that? You know what? I will because I think it will make an interesting pairing because the one that I was going to throw out is the uh, the flawed but sometimes effective Stephen King adaptation 1408, which I think, again, has that very similar sort of Hollywood sheen to it. Might even make an interesting pairing with the innkeepers uh, insofar as they're sure. about haunted hotel rooms. I will say this. My affinity for 1408 is largely tied to the fact that the short story – from Stephen King's Everything's Eventual uh, collection is hands down the scariest short story I've ever read. Uh, John, I read it when we were at Copelson. We got an advanced copy of the book and I was reading it and couldn't put it down as the office was closing down and everyone was leaving around me. Uh, it, it, and I, I actually 
photocopied it and carried that photocopy around and desperately wanted to make a short film out of it for a long time. It's a really scary story for just based on the premise of it's a haunted hotel room. I thought the movie made some wrong turns to accommodate the budget, but it, it, I think it moves in, in much, in a much less conventional way than what lies beneath. Uh, even if it's uh, uh, boasting, I'm trying to remember if the the producer was Lorenzo de Bonaventura, I believe. I know the director was Mikhail Halfstrom, who did not go on to do anything substantial. Um, but you've got Samuel L. Jackson, John Cusack. I mean, it was it was a big Hollywood movie. Oh, you were correct. What lies beneath was. Yeah, Lorenzo Di Bonaventura was one of the producers. Um, I checked IMDb. Wow, Vic, you did not clarify matters at all because uh, also the Weinstein's, uh, of course, in this uh, producing list. But that's kind of a draw right now, unless Rich can really strongly break the tie here. I do not think I'm equipped to make a strong tie break on this. I will say I saw 1408. Uh, Vic, again, I'm pretty sure I saw it with you. Which makes me feel like we've really known each other for a long time. (laughs) (laughs) That's certainly possible. And been having conversations like this for a very long time. Yeah, I think we saw this together in the theater. I remember liking it, but that's about as far as my recollection of it goes. I, I could not name any specific scene out of it, which is less than I can say about um, what lies beneath, which is, you know, a little less than 10 years older than it. So, I guess for me, like if you were asking me to, to sort of pick one, I'd say what lies beneath, but I'm I'm not going to shoot down 1408. It's interesting that 1408 falls into uh, the second window of films that I've uh, kind of in an <laughs> obsessive way identified for our podcast. Like we have two, three year windows for most of these movies and it does fall into the second one, but I am going to say for the sake of completing tonight's broadcast, that I will break the tie in favor of what lies beneath. It was on my list. I think I had it at, uh, let's see, you know, definitely towards the bottom. It's 21 on my list uh, based on seeing it once when it came out. But I think that for now I'm going to call our 16 and this is still fluid and we're going to do another show and who knows what's going to happen. But The 16 that we have as of now are Lake Mungo, The Shining, Below, The Devil's Backbone, Session 9, Poltergeist, Oculus, Terrified, Paranormal Activity, The Innkeepers, Under the Shadow, The Haunting, The Orphanage, The Pact, The Woman in Black, we need a the in every title, it seems like. (laughs) <laughs> and what lies beneath bringing in the rear of the top 16 so far. Uh, guys, any, any thoughts on this list so far? I mean, I'm excited to go back and watch any of those movies. Um, I am super eager to know what is on the back half of y'all's lists. <laughs> um, I'd love for a chance to get my eyes on some of them too, going into it um, just to help spur on the debate. But I will say that I'm feeling pretty good about the list so far. There's a couple in there that I would maybe kick to the maybe pile, but it's a team decision. First, John, I was going to call you a son of a bitch for picking uh, What Lies Beneath Over 1408. Oh, by the uh, way, Vic, 1408 is very much at the top of the maybe pile. So let's yeah. let's be clear. Well, 
Wait, wait. I mean, I, I'm not even done. But then I, what, what occurred to me was, number one, it's it's almost interesting that I read the short story literally sitting next to you at mm-hmm. Copelson because I was Anne's second when I read that and then saw the movie with you, Rich. So that's kind of spooky. And then, John, I have it at number 21 on my list. Oh, so, uh, spooky. That's, a, that's, an, that's an eerie set of coincidences to go out on. It certainly is. And to recap the maybe pile, 1408, Let's Scare Jessica to Death, Hausu, Stir of Echoes, The Black Coat's Daughter, and The Skeleton Key, even though I'm pretty sure like that it, it doesn't fit the category. And in the totally hell no uh, pile, but you guys should go see it. Anyway, a ghost story. <laughs> <laughs> well, All right. At least you can get that. Oh, absolutely! Like I, I was moved by that film. It made me think. It, it, it definitely is a a really cool movie. That I, I, I can't say it doesn't straddle the line of genres. Like it has a foot in the horror genre, but yeah, it's not really what it's all about. So we, we should probably handle it accordingly. But. This has been awesome, guys. I think we're off to a really good start here. And I can't wait to... Yeah, I think, that honestly, the second 16 could be an even better conversation. Can't wait to get into it. I mostly agree. Like, I feel like I have watched more horror movies in the last month since we started having this discussion than I have in a long time. And, like, I just fucking love it. Like, I've watched so many goddamn kids movies i watched moana like uh, 50 times <laughs> and so to be able to to really have cause and purpose to seek out things like under the shadow and let's scare jessica to death and uh, even some shit i watched burnt offerings which was not a very good movie i don't think but nevertheless i it just reminds me why i love this genre and uh, why it's so much fun to talk about and to and to parse it in our our own particular very meticulous way well i'm looking forward to this genre or subgenre the haunted house subgenre is its own thing. Like it has its pros and cons and funny little characteristics that we're going to track throughout these films. And I'm really looking forward to just sort of living in that universe for however long it takes us. Um, I think it's a very rich and colorful one that's as interesting or more than the world of Michael Myers and Jason Voorhees. So I'm definitely excited about it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Fucking A, you guys. We're off. <laughs> March All right. Madman. March Madman, everybody. Hope you dig it. Please reach out to us if you have any thoughts on the direction that the pod is going. Hope you dig it, and we'll see you soon. Adios. Good night.